We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Eric Getty, Vice President of Government Affairs with the Connecticut Business and Industry Association. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, Connecticut got more discouraging news on the jobs front this past week. Instead of gaining 1,000 jobs in January, as initially estimated, the State Labor Department now says the state lost 2,500 positions and another 400 in February. This comes after jobs numbers for 2018 were revised lower. What are you hearing from businesses about the labor market in Connecticut? Well, you know, it was very disappointing to hear those numbers. Uh, obviously, you know, we had been, uh, we really had thought Connecticut had turned the corner. And, you know, I, I do still think that we have turned the corner in some degree, but it's obvious that we have a long way to go before we get back um, to where we should be. I mean, if you just look around at what other states and how they've recovered from the recession, um, you know, most of the, the state average is up 244% of the jobs uh, they lost during the recession. So most states have seen uh, not only all the jobs that they lost during the recession come back, but a significant increase in jobs. Uh, in Connecticut, we're still only at 81% of the job recovery rate, and, and that's way behind uh, all the other New England states in particular. So it's discouraging. What do you think is behind that disparity? You know, um, I, I don't I don't know for sure, but I, I do know one thing that, um, you know, as lawmakers are in this, this legislative session, we've got to make sure that we're not doing anything to make the problem any worse. You know, the recovery has been so slow. You know, we made a lot of progress in the last two years in terms of, in terms of um, getting our fiscal house uh, somewhat in order, uh, preventing a lot of anti-business mandates from going into effect. And we need to stay down that path and continue to show people that Connecticut is a great place to invest and grow their business. We're halfway through the legislative session. What is tops on CBIA's agenda at the Capitol? You know, we're following so many bills up at the Capitol. Um, certainly one of the ones that I have been watching closely, not only just this year, but in years past, is the paid family and medical leave mandate um, program. So, it was, so we're watching that. It's a it's a potentially huge mandate, not just on businesses, but on every person who has a job in the state. So essentially, how would it work? The way I understand it is... If this goes through, one half of 1% of your paycheck would be subject to a payroll tax, and that would go into a trust fund, and that fund would help to pay for paid family medical leave if if you or a, a family member has a health problem. That's correct. So, you know, again, it's it's the, the state or your, your employer will be taking uh, one half of 1% of your pay, giving it to the state. And then if uh, you need to take leave for your own or a family member's illness, and ex, it's a, an extended number of family members' illnesses, um, you would be paid up to $1,000 uh, a week. 
uh, for 12 weeks. Now, what we constantly hear is, you know, businesses, you know, how could you not like this? This is free for you. Well, it's absolutely not free for businesses. Now, for one, um, we will have to continue to provide non-wage benefits for people who are out of the workforce uh, every single or year for up to 12 weeks. And that's very expensive. That means that's your health insurance, your dental insurance, unemployment, workers' comp, all of those things we're going to have to continue to provide for people who are simply not showing up to the workforce. Also, we're going to be under incredible pressure. I mean, people, whether they ever use this program or not, are going to see part of their wages basically taken, regardless of whether they ever want to participate uh, in, in this belief program. So those are going to be taken, and they're going to come to us, and business owners, and they're going to be looking for us to make up the difference. And, and, and right now, that's simply not something that most businesses can do. I mean, if they could do that, they would already be providing this leave uh, on their own right now. It is already law that you can take leave unpaid. Would this be in lieu of that? This this would likely, I mean, the unpaid leave would, would uh, go away. And again, unpaid leave right now applies to businesses with 50 or more employees in the state. This this new program, uh, and most people don't realize this, this applies to businesses with as few as one employee. So virtually every business in the state of Connecticut will be subject to this. And every single person who has a job in the state of Connecticut will have a portion of their wages taken to fund this new program. Now, one of the things that really bothers me is that, um, you know, in addition to the massive costs of this, because it's, you know, it's at least $13 million in startup costs, at least $18 million in ongoing costs, just to fund the 120 plus new state employees needed to run this new program. And the administrative burdens for most businesses dealing with, uh, you know, especially small businesses dealing with people out all the time is that we have uh, lawmakers, uh, just like, for example, the other day, the governor said to a group of businesses up at the state capitol that we need to implement paid family medical leave uh, to modernize our workforce. And then you have other lawmakers who are saying to us, well, this is the moral thing to do to care for people uh, who are out sick. Now, the only problem with this is about modernizing the workforce and caring for people who are out sick uh, when lawmakers are telling us this is that State employees are completely exempt from this new program, and we know exactly why. I could tell you why, because if you look at old fiscal notes uh, that uh, the nonpartisan offices at the legislature apply to all, all laws after a committee passes them, they have said that uh, in the past, when the state was going to fall subject to this proposal, that at any given time, 6% of the state workforce is out on leave. And if it became paid leave, that would jump dramatically. In addition to the massive cost of tracking all the time out for employees, um, they, they would uh, be unable to provide the services that the state needs to provide. Well, that's our argument, too, is that how are we as business owners going to be able to provide the services that we need to provide or make the products that we need to make when our workforce is constantly either going in or out using this leave? It's so, you know, what's good for the private sector ought to be good for the public sector, too. So uh, hopefully um, they, that argument, it resonates a little bit with, with some of your audience. There certainly be, seems to be a trend toward some sort of paid family and medical leave. Some big companies are doing it. The U.S. lags behind countries in, in the EU. Do you think there's room for compromise here? 
Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, for one, uh, there are like as you as you mentioned, there there's there are several states, uh, especially states around us, that do offer this leave. Now, the big difference is just the richness of benefits. Now, what's being proposed here would offer a hundred percent wage replacement. So you'd be able to get a hundred percent of the wages you would earn if you had showed up to work while you were out on paid family medical leave, of capped, of course, but up to still a thousand dollars. Right. So yeah. it would be a hundred percent of your wages. Now, most of the states around us offer about a 60 to 70% wage replacement rate. So, and they also have uh, much higher qualifications needed to uh, be, you know, get this leave in the first place. Um, and there's much tighter restrictions around it. So other states have put in much more sustainable programs. And what I would like to see is Connecticut modeling some of these programs in our surrounding states that have thus far shown to be somewhat sustainable. Where did this proposal in Connecticut come from if it's not being taken from one of our neighbors? Well, a lot of the uh, special interests, and again, you know, CBIA is a special interest too, so that's, I, don't, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. We always like to be the biggest and the best and the first uh, on so many of these things. And while we weren't the first on paid family medical leave, I think they want this to be the richest benefit uh, and better than all the other state programs. The problem is um, it's just simply not sustainable uh, at, at that at the level of contribution right now. And what we're very concerned about is when they realize that the money that they are confiscating from employee paychecks to pay for this program is is not enough to, to, to keep the program solvent, they're going to turn to businesses next, and we just can't afford that right now. You talked about the administrative startup costs, but presumably the money would have to come from somewhere if the program were launched before the the trust fund had a lot of money in it. And, that, and that's exactly right. Um, so what they're proposing to do is to start deducting from employee wages beginning January 1st of this upcoming year. But they won't actually launch the program until January 1st of the following year. So for a whole year, uh, you're going to see your pay, your wages reduced uh, in if you work in Connecticut to fund this program, but you will not be eligible for any sort of benefit until uh, an entire year after that. Have there been discussions about maybe finding a, a compromise with with benefits that are less rich and have people been receptive? Yeah, uh, we have been um, f- floating a list of at least 10 or more uh, changes that we'd like to see to the program to help make it uh, more sustainable. Um, and yet we've definitely, um, we, the I will say, you know, again, there's there's three, actually three separate proposals. Um, the governor was receptive to some of our points uh, right away. Um, we are continuing to have conversations with um, people on both sides of the aisle and the administration uh, about changes that need to be made for this uh, in order for it to be a, a, a sustainable program. And I think that's what everyone wants at the end of the day is a, a workable program that doesn't bankrupt and become a long-term liability for the state. Getting out your, your crystal ball, you've spent a lot of time at the Capitol with Democratic majorities in both chambers and a Democrat in the governor's office. Do you think some form of paid family medical leave becomes law this year? Uh, I do. I think that there are uh, way too many, uh, particularly Democrats, who who ran on imp- uh, implementing a paid family medical leave program um, for it to not happen. But I do think uh, at the end of the day, um, people will, uh, this program will be, uh, uh, people will definitely be working to make it a better program than it is currently written right now.
Do you think there's been an adequate amount of public awareness out there about this program, considering everything else happening at the Capitol this year? I think that uh, some issues have taken a, a, a lot of attention. Of course, you know, uh, tolls have been one that are that's on people's mind. Um, school consolidations. Um, ironically, though, uh, this actually impacts far more people than even the toll proposal because this impacts. If you have a job in Connecticut, this is going to impact you. And I think a lot of people hear family medical leave and think, oh, my business, uh, this is not going to apply to them because we don't have 50 employees. Again, that's the the cutoff for unpaid family medical leave uh, right now. Um, so they think that this doesn't apply to them. But yes, the, the more and more businesses that hear about this, the more uh, concern that we are hearing. Um, and, and we've been uh, crossing the state, spreading that message. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Eric Getty, Vice President of Government Affairs for the Connecticut Business and Industry Association. You mentioned tolls, and I would imagine that there's no business in Connecticut that wouldn't agree that the state's infrastructure needs some upgrades. But I'm also guessing that businesses are all over the place when it comes to the proposal to install electronic highway tolls. It's really a divisive issue uh, for businesses in the state. Divisive in, in terms of industry, in terms of geography, where you're located in the state. Um, there's no question, as you said, everyone agrees something needs to happen. It's, we have Our transportation needs are great, and they're becoming more and more problematic as time goes on, and our dollars are shrinking. So something needs to be done. Uh, but, you know, some of the proposals we've seen thus far, you know, at one point they were talking about 82 grant gantries across even some of the, you know, the, the smaller highways in the state. You know, those are things that CBIA and, and, and most people, I think, in the state, most organizations simply would never be able to support. Um, so, you know, what they need to really come up with, if, if, this, if tolls is the way that they plan to pay for things going forward, um, they need to come up with a solid plan. Um, that isn't. That's not going to uh, be so cost prohibitive for people. That you know, it, it, we just don't want it to be one more thing driving people out of this state. Now, some of the details have been fleshed out from what it was before in, in terms of the highways. And the governor has talked about 84, 91, 95, Route 15, not some of the smaller highways, but still, is CBIA looking for more detail? We definitely need to see more detail, and we need to see more of, of what the impact is going to be. And they've, they've also talked about things, um, you know, discounts potentially for uh, uh, people in state. Um, you know, we really need to see the full details on this before we weigh in. We're simply not comfortable just coming out and saying, you know, we support tolls or we oppose tolls. You know, we need to see a solid plan um, going forward before we can we can make our, our determination. Also at the Capitol this year, a lot of talk about increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour in, in phases. CBIA has come out uh, against that. Uh, to tell us your, your reasons for that. One of the things we always say is that you should, and, and we encourage our members to do, is to pay their employees as much as they can. I mean, there's no question about that, but that's on a voluntary basis. Now, what is being talked about here are significant minimum wage increases, unlike we have ever seen in this state before. Um, they are talking about going from 10 10 an hour right now uh, in, 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 in one of the bills, going to $15 an hour in just 
just three short years. That's a 50% minimum wage increase in just three years. Uh, you know, it's a dollar ninety in the first year, and then a dollar fifty in each of the years after. If you look historically at minimum wage increases in this state and most other states, they average about thirty cents a year. So every time that we've increased the minimum wage in the past, it's been about thirty cents, and that's while it's a lot uh, at, at times, um, it does allow businesses to absorb that cost and, and, and figure out other ways to, to find savings to make up the difference. Um, but this is significant. This is unlike any minimum wage increase we've ever seen before. So, you know, for what, what a lot of times these turn into a battle of studies up at the Capitol. You know, I have every, every study that I can show you that uh, the minimum wage increase impacts businesses. Another side can show you that it actually has very minimal effect. But you got to throw away all of those studies now because those are all looking at the 30 cent type minimum wage increases. The only thing we have right now that can really show what the potential impact is, is a study out of California who has imposed similar large minimum wage increases in the last couple of years. And the, the, the one major study that's come out has shown that for every uh, 10% increase in the minimum wage, in certain industries, there's a 2% job loss. And they predict that the minimum wage increases in California right now, which are very similar to the ones we've proposed here, is going to cost California about 400,000 jobs by the year 2022. I would really hate to see that happen to Connecticut uh, with such an aggressive minimum wage increase, especially given uh, the low job numbers we talked about earlier this this hour. We're at 3.8% unemployment in Connecticut. That is probably near full employment. Isn't that pushing wages higher kind of organically? Uh, in certain industries, it absolutely is. That's that's a problem, though. Is the Connecticut is our our workforce is mismatched with our labor needs. Now, if in certain areas of the state, you know, particularly the southeast portion of the state, you know, they are desperately searching for uh, people who are skilled in manufacturing and welding, uh, and 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 those type of jobs uh, to serve uh, the you know the the electric boat and all of the job expansion they have. They simply can't find the people with the skills needed uh, fast enough. I mean, so what we do have are a a significant portion of of relatively unskilled younger workers out there who who can't fill those jobs um, that are still looking for opportunities. And um, so that's the problem is that when you have minimum wage increases uh, like the ones being proposed here, um, those are the people who are already having difficulty finding jobs who are going to be impacted. Now, some will absolutely get uh, you know higher wages uh, as a result of the minimum wage. The, the best of the best will always uh, do just fine. It's the it's the uh, the least skilled among them that will suffer the most, unfortunately. What does CBIA say to those who contend that the minimum wage has not kept pace with inflation and doesn't have the buying power that it used to? Well, I you know um, I think that the best thing uh, that we can do is have the market determine what the wages are in this state, and you know I th- I think you would also find that most people who make the minimum wage don't make the minimum wage for very long. Um, they typically move up very quick from that. It's it's just there is a balance out there that we we have to strike. You know the the labor being provided has to match the wages being paid. 
Um, and for some of these lesser skilled jobs, um, uh, that's becoming a problem where the wages are simply um, uh, higher than the value being provided. And that's why so many, uh, particularly, you know, restaurants and, and retailers are, are turning to automation in lieu of hiring more people. And that's a trend we would prefer not to see. We would rather see more and more people get that first or, or second job opportunity um, and then uh, have their wages steadily grow from there. One other interesting proposal that was up for a committee vote this past week was a proposal that would give employees time off to to vote. Uh, tell us what that is about. That's right. Uh, there, there's a proposal that would say that uh, if enacted, any employee that requested it uh, must be provided not less than four hours on election day uh, f- to to go uh, to go vote. Now, um, four hours certainly seems uh, like a lot of time uh, to go vote, you know, especially if you're just going across town. But you, under the, the way the bill is drafted, you couldn't give them less than four hours to go vote. So um, very interesting proposal. You know, you, you take this in, 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 in conjunction with, you know, the paid family medical leave that, you know, there's, there's 12 weeks off a person could potentially take each year. And if you add uh, any accumulated vacation or sick time, you know, that could be a couple more weeks. Uh, you know, and then on top of this, every single election day, you know, we're getting to a point where people are only going to have to show up for work a few days uh, in a month and then uh, call it quits. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm being a little facetious there, but still, it, it's just becoming um, the, the number of asks of the business community uh, with some of these labor proposals is just getting outlandish. It's, it's becoming it's already a hard state to do business if you're not, um, you know, highly productive uh, or doing something very specialized and then adding all of these other new uh, cost drivers on top of, of, of all the challenges of this state, it doesn't help. And it certainly doesn't help uh, groups like CBIA and, and some of our economic development um, state agencies help sell this place as a great place to do business. And that, and that's that's something we're trying to do at CBIA is is let people know that this is a good good place uh, to grow and, and raise a family because we have we do have a lot of great things happening here. The problem is uh, some of our lawmakers are just driven every single year to add new costs and, uh, and, and, and new mandates on top of businesses. Uh, and it really it's really frustrating. Also back this year is a proposal that was very controversial in a past session, and that's the captive audience bill. Very interesting bill. Um, so ba- the basics behind it are, are that um, and if an employer uh, holds a company-wide meeting and all the employees are there, if at any point in time uh, an employee feels that the topic of discussion at the meeting is getting to be what is considered a political matter, um, they could simply get up and walk out of the meeting and have no repercussions at all. Um, now, the problem here is that political matters is defined so broadly that includes things like uh, uh, leg- legislation or regulations that impact the business, but it also includes um, community or civic events. So you could be talking about uh, you know, your United Way campaign and whether you want to be involved this year, and you could have a bunch of employees simply stand up and say, you know, this is getting too political. I'm out of here. So how do you, how do you have a workplace meeting and how do you communicate 
the risks of of you know what potentially government is doing and in, in the impact on employees and the business to these folks if at any point in time um, they simply are allowed to, to to just leave. It's very tough to hold a meeting. And what's kind of funny about this proposal, and I, it's not really I guess that funny, but um, so the Senate Democrats. At the beginning of the legislative session, held a press conference every day of the week to talk about some of the proposals. In in this captive audience bill, it, you know they 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 included this as part of their economic development plan, which is really a bizarre way of doing economic development. I mean, how do you how do you go to businesses outside the state and say, hey, come to Connecticut? We are a great place to do business. The only thing is, you can't talk to your employees about anything that's even remotely uh, controversial. Um, so, you know, again, we, we think that a lot of these things are misguided. Um, they're very uh, overreaching. Um, and, you know, hopefully, like last year, um, this bill ultimately goes away. And it went away last year because uh, Attorney General Jepson um, came out with an, his, an opinion saying that this was preempted by federal law. This type of speech is protected by federal law, and the state can't mess around with it. Um, the problem is Attorney General Jepson is no longer Attorney General Jepson. Um, but we're hoping that, um, you know, again, his well-reasoned opinion uh, prevails at the end of the day. He is Eric Getty, Vice President of Government Affairs with the Connecticut Business and Industry Association. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T Mobile.com.